Good morning. Community Bible Church, it's really good being here finally. I've heard about you uh, from our uh, other pastors and elders who have uh, also had the privilege of being here. And so uh, thank you for inviting us and having us uh, in fellowship with you. It really is lovely to be here. Now, I want to read uh, what was read uh, just moments ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 once more. And remember, this is the Apostle Paul who is writing this. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, and I'm strong. Have you experienced God's power in this way? And if you have, how have you experienced God's power in this way? Today, we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. He's the one who wrote and taught this gospel truth to a church in Corinth. And as we look at this principle, we'll also see it played out in his real life. A little bit of background, by the time the Apostle Paul wrote his letters to the Corinthian church, he had already faced many trials and difficulties and persecutions. He was a well-seasoned, persecuted man. So we, we need to ask, and we should seriously think about, why is Paul speaking of boasting in his weaknesses? Who would do that in their right mind? A little bit of more background. In 2 Corinthians, one of the things that Paul is trying to do in the whole letter is he's defending his apostleship. Why? Because in that church, in that area, there were a bunch of fake so-called super apostles. And they began discrediting the apostle Paul because the, the super apostles, so-called, they said, well, we're, we have, we're much more qualified than you are. We're much more competent. We're much more eloquent. We have more followers. We're more reputable. We're more famous than you. And you know what? Overall, we have a more blessed ministry because we're trouble-free. But look at your life, Paul. I don't know if God really loves you. You're, you're, you're constantly in trouble and in danger. How could you claim to be an apostle of Jesus Christ when your life is in shambles? And so Paul, throughout this letter, that's, that's his context. That's where he's coming from. He's trying to defend that apostleship. So really, when we hear Paul say, I boast, I boast my weakness, it's actually, it sh there should be air quotes. Okay, there's no air quotes I know in your, in your Bible, but there should be air quotes around that word. I boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because he's kind of playing along 
with this kind of flawed uh, line of reasoning that these so-called super apostles are saying. It's like, okay, I can play that game. I'll boast too. I have, here's my resume. Let me show you what I have that qualifies me as an apostle. So let me boast. So he's saying that sarcastically. Do you understand? Like this is, he's not actually trying to boast boast, but he's kind of writing that in a sarcastic way. And look at what he's boasting about. In the same letter, just a, a chapter before, he actually lists his kind of resume. So he says this in chapter 11, verse 23 to 28. He says, are they the, the super apostles? Are they servants of God? Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a better one. A lot of air quotes here. I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Well, I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings. Maybe he just had a, a face that he liked to punch. I don't know, but for countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys far from home, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from Gentiles, danger from my own people. No one likes this guy, right? Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. That means being betrayed by people he once trusted. And toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all those other things, you know, there's a the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What Paul is saying here is he has suffered much for the sake of Jesus' name. This is his resume, if you will, his qualifications of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the bad news and the good news. The bad news here is, and let's be real, the bad news is that God puts weakness in our lives. I don't know about you, but that's not something... I readily seek or want. That's bad news, isn't it? There's real trouble and difficulties. The weakness that Paul talks about here is pointing to experiences or circumstances or conditions that come with faithfully following Jesus. So at least in this passage, he's not primarily talking about our character flaws or our sinful nature. Does that make sense? He's not talking about that in this passage. There's plenty of talk about that. That's another sermon. But in this writing, he's specifically talking about these experiences, circumstances, conditions outside of our control, stuff that it doesn't have anything to do with our character per se. It's not a sin to be repented of, or it's not just a oops mistake, but these are things that happen to us that just come with faithfully following Jesus. And society will see these qualities and conditions as undesirable or something that ought to be overcome quickly or freed from. But for Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and by extension us, as disciples of Jesus, this weakness is an essential part of following our Lord. Clearly, Paul sees, remember he says, 
God placed a thorn in my flesh. He says, a messenger of Satan. Oh my goodness. And when Paul says, plead, he pleaded with the Lord, please take it away from me three times. Did the Lord take it away? No. So Paul sees his perspective is that the Lord is the one who places and allows weakness to persist in our lives. Practically for us, that means that many times this weakness, the struggles, these difficult circumstances we face, they won't make much sense to us. We may see them as unjust, unwarranted, undeserved. What did I do? Why is this happening to me? Unprovoked, seemingly senseless. And Paul is teaching us here that the Lord in his infinite wisdom does not necessarily deliver us from every trouble. Instead, Jesus calls us to follow him step by step, facing persecution and suffering just like he did. So in a sense, you see, that's, actually, that's bad news in a way, that God places weakness in our lives. Because it's hard. We may rightly, in a way, plead with God, please take this away. I don't want this. So if this weakness is bad, and it's not something we should actively seek out or desire, why does Paul say things like, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness? Because we'll see here that God's grace transformed Paul's perspective. These experiences and difficulties in his ministry that he would naturally avoid and reject, Paul learned to welcome them because the evidence of Christ's power in the midst of them brought glory to God. So the bad news is God brings weakness in our lives. That's hard. That's bad. That's terrible. But the good news is that God works best in our weakness. How do we get to know God's power, that he is strong? It's when we're weak, isn't it? How do we get to know that God is gracious? It's when we fall short. How do we know that God's purposes are sovereign and good and he is in control? It's when everything in our lives is completely out of control. Listen to how Paul actually starts off this letter to the Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians, same letter, but in the beginning, I'm going to read the first few verses in chapter 1 for us. And so this beginning, this introduction to the letter, it kind of paints the whole, it kind of introduces to the whole theme, and it's connected to what we just read before. Paul sees this whole state of weakness as good news. So I'm going to read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 10, I'll kind of paraphrase bits too. And just to, so we get an idea of his main kind of thesis, if you will. He says this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is praiseworthy. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. 
when they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. And read that again. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Because even when we're weighed down with troubles, it's actually eventually for your benefit, for your comfort and salvation. When we ourselves are comforted, we'll certainly then comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffered. We're all in the same boat. And we're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you'll also share in the comfort that God gives us. He goes on to say in verse 8, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We don't know what he's talking about here exactly, but some kind of trouble. He says, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result of that weakness, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he'll rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. He'll continue to rescue us. This is how Paul starts off this letter. Do you see? It's all connected. And so then, Later on in the letter, as he's defending his apostleship, he's saying like, yes, do you see that God works best in our weakness? This is how I know I'm called to follow Jesus. I don't know about all this other stuff. Yes, there's great blessing in following the Lord, but I also get to share in his suffering. I also get to receive in a very real way that God is our comforter and our only hope. I've learned this the hard way. These are just, this is the concept, this is a principle. I want to just briefly show us here how this played out in real life, in Paul's life. Three years after, three years after Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, so this is a few years later, Paul is arrested for preaching the gospel, like he tends to do, right? He gets arrested. He's taken into custody by the Romans, he appeals to Caesar, and he's eventually on a ship, on a boat, to Rome on, you know, on this long journey. And right away, this journey is just fraught with danger. Apparently, right around this time of year, October, November, in that region, that's when winter comes and the storms are most intense. In fact, most ships stop sailing. And so that's why Paul, in the beginning of this journey, he says, we should not sail, by the way. The Lord has told me this will end in disaster. And so I'm gonna just recap for us in Acts 27. Now, when the south wind blew gently, Supposing that they obtained their purpose. Oh, look, the weather's nice. They weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along helplessly. We managed with great difficulty and fearing that we would run aground and we were violently storm-tossed. And when the, neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Meaning they literally thought their lives were done and over. To the point where it says, since they had been without food for a long time, they had food, they even stopped eating. You know who stops eating? Someone who has no more hope. 
So Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. And even through your waywardness, yet now I urge you to take heart. You can still take heart in this, for there will be no loss of life among you because you'll be saved. But only the ship will be destroyed. For this very night there stood before me an angel of a God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you, meaning everyone aboard, all 276 men will be saved. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. It will be exactly as I've been told. Did you catch that? There's the bad news. They were helpless in complete despair, partly due to their own kind of wandering ways. And all hope of being saved was abandoned. They were at their weakest. And God allowed them to go through that difficulty. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if, like Jesus, who was on a boat in storms, Paul said, peace, be still, and everything just stopped. But no, they went through it to completion. And it was a massive shipwreck, and they were delayed for months. That's what happens. That's the bad news. But the good news we see is that God works best in our weakness. When all human efforts had failed, there was no more hope of living. God showed his grace by saving them. In only a way that God can. See, through this experience and through his teaching, what Paul is convinced of, remember, he's already convinced of these truths. And this is just one more example. This is now his at least fourth shipwreck. He said, I've been on three shipwrecks. So this is at, at least his fourth. Paul is saying he's qualified to be God's messenger, not because he's so capable, not because he's the most competent and prosperous and trouble-free, most blessed person, but because even in his weakness and troubles, especially in his weakness and troubles, God's great power is displayed. And that's true of you and I, of us. It's not just Paul and his unique call to apostleship, but for you and I, as we're called to follow Jesus, including in his sufferings, we get to, just like Paul did, embody and really, in a quite literal, physical, and tangible ways, live out these weaknesses and really experience Therefore, God's power. Isn't that how it happens? And in those times, if you're anything like me, when I'm in the most trouble, when I'm, in, when I'm at my weakest points, I'm not the most eloquent or calm, like cool, level-headed person. All my anxious tendencies come out. And I remember there's several times when my wife and I, all we can do and manage in these times when we're in great trouble and we just, we're at a loss of what to do. Our prayers are simple. They were not very eloquent or fancy. We just said, God, help. God, send help. Like, we don't know what else to do. And we'd just be in tears and just be beside ourselves. We just wouldn't know. And looking back, it's only in these moments and seasons of our lives that we can really look back and say, that was just the Lord who graciously provided. We're here where we are now 
because God was gracious. And we know that to be true. It had nothing to do with us. Paul has learned this through and through the hard way. His faith and confidence is in God. Because it's not Paul who's mighty to save as he's talking to the sailors. Because remember, they're literally in the same boat. They're in the same boat. They're all just people struggling to survive, and they're all just weak. No one can do anything about the situation. They're weak and unable to save themselves. So it's not Paul who's mighty to save. It's not Paul who's so impressive. All Paul can do, and all we really can do for one another, is communicate this hope in Christ to the others in the same boat. And the good news is that it's precisely through this weakness and helplessness that we can see that God alone is mighty to save. That's the good news, isn't it? But here's the best news. The best news is God saves us by his grace. Even in this account in Acts, God saw it fitting to speak through his one faithful servant, Paul, to deliver the souls of everyone on that ship though they did not follow him. That's his grace. And in an even more amazing and perfect way, God saw it fitting to work out his saving grace through one perfect man, Jesus, who brought salvation to all who would believe. And think about how this salvation was made possible. The salvation by grace was made possible when Jesus condescended himself making himself weak. Jesus, who was perfect and sinless, was humiliated, spoken against falsely, given over to the hands of his enemies, beaten, scorned, arrested, suffered, and was crucified to death on the cross by his enemies. When Jesus was at his weakest, the sovereign grace and power of God was on full display. The cross of Christ, which God did not take away from Jesus, is where salvation was made possible. It was on the foolishness and weakness of the cross where God's perfect love and power is demonstrated. Jesus suffered for our sake, bore the burden of our sin, died on our behalf, transferred his righteousness to all those who believe. Isn't that weakness? And yet through that weakness, Jesus rose again on the third day, conquering death. That's God's power. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So we don't really necessarily blindly copy Paul in a sarcastic way. We don't boast in our weakness per se in that way. What we're really doing is we're boasting in Jesus Christ, who though he became weak, rose again, was strong, overcoming death itself. And we share now in that inheritance. We share now in that followership. And you too can experience God's power and salvation again and again. And like Paul, we can embody this gospel message through our lives. As we follow Jesus, our weakness can even point others to God's power. So how can we experience the power of God in our weakness? No new information because I'm just going to follow Paul's and Jesus' rhythm and example. I offer us three applications. One, follow Jesus realistically. What do I mean by that? Recognize that the journey of following Jesus surely includes miraculous rescue. 
eternal life, blessings, provisions, yes and amen. And following Jesus includes suffering, weakness, persecution, and great troubles. It's all the above. An author, Kathleen Norris, wrote this, if grace is so wonderful, why do we have such difficulty recognizing and accepting it? Maybe it's because grace is not gentle or made to order. Grace often comes disguised as loss or failure or unwelcome change. So follow Jesus realistically. Learn to recognize, even in great difficulty, that's all included. And second, as we follow Jesus realistically, the second is turn to God in your weakness for his comfort. Turn to the Lord. Learn to turn to God. And that's a learned kind of conditioning of our faith, right? Because that might not be our impulse at first or when things are especially difficult and unfamiliar. But turn to God and receive his comfort. Trust in his purpose that whether through speedy deliverance, which could be, or prolonged suffering, that we can receive and experience God's grace. Not outside of our weakness, but in it. Just like the Lord Jesus said to Paul, I'm not going to take away that thorn, but my grace is sufficient for you in it, in that weakness. So turn to the Lord in your weakness for his comfort. And lastly, we can share this comfort, CBC, with one another, right, as a church. We share this comfort we ever see from God with one another. Remind one another of the greater hope we have in Jesus. Remind one another that the way of following Jesus is marked with sufferings and weakness that we too may share in his comforts. And when we're comforted, we can share and encourage one another in that same comfort. We become more and more fully convinced of the hope we have in God as we learn to be comforted by God and offer this comfort, the same comfort to one another. When we learn these things the hard way, and there's no shortcuts to this, as we continue learning this the hard way, and we sincerely and genuinely share this hope we have one another, instead of being so discouraged in that, we can actually serve to encourage one another that even this weakness and suffering may be God's means in which we experience his very real power and grace. Just if you see, I want to encourage us, God's power works best in our weakness. That could be on an individual level, even as a whole community at the, on a corporate level. Maybe there are some things that we see, it's like, oh man, what are we going to do? We're kind of at a loss. Oh no. But these are the times, these are the moments and opportunities we can encourage one another. Remember, God's power works best in our weakness. When we look back on the season as we have turned to the Lord, let it be our mindset that we truly say it was just by God's grace the sovereign provision that we need it through. So take heart. God is faithful to deliver us. Take heart because even in the midst of the troubles, and we turn to him and receive his comfort, and let's continue offering the hope we have in Christ and comfort from God to one another as we learn to rely on the only God who saves. Pray with me. Gracious God, give us enough problems 
to keep us trusting in you. Give us enough hurts to keep us broken and humble. Give us enough victories to keep us praising you. In our weakness, allow us to know that you are strong and for us. Comfort us in our sufferings and weakness and help us comfort one another with the comfort we've received from you. Only you, Lord, can take what little we have to offer and fill us so that we can become more than conquerors. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your saving grace. Amen.